I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. I have listened to lots of experts over the years, and one of my favorites has been Gavin DeBecker, who is in the special protection business. He actually wrote a book called The Gift of Fear. Now, when I saw this book title, this is the first time we've ever seen the word fear printed with the word gift, because we don't think of fear as a gift to us. But he talks in his book about many stories of people if they used their intuition, that little gut feeling, that thing that uh, says, hmm, something's off here, which is, we've talked about that before, it's just a little whisper at first, something's not right. When you use that, it can make you safer in the world. One of the stories I never forgot is actually the first story that Gavin DeBecker speaks of in uh, his book, Gift of Fear. It's about Kelly. We've all been in this situation where you want to be nice, you don't want to make the other person feel that you are rude, and women especially do this at our own risk. In The Gift of Fear, you start out the book talking about Kelly, mm. who came to you to talk about what she, had been, what she had done wrong when she was raped, but as you talked her through it, she realized that she already saw all the signs herself. Can we talk about Kelly? Sure. She came to me and told the story of a three-hour rape ordeal she'd had. She was coming home from shopping. She had a bag full of groceries, and she got to the door to her building, and it was unlocked. And she thought, damn, I wish my neighbors would lock the door, the other people in the apartment building. But she was glad it was unlocked because she could just push it with her shoulder, not get out the key. This is one of those buildings where you use the intercom? Right, four floors, uh-huh. use the intercom, buzz uh-huh. lock. And she was up about three levels going to the fourth floor, and one of the grocery bags broke. And all the cans of cat food went tumbling down the stairs, and one of them she watched it turn down the second floor. And she heard a man say, got it, I'll bring it up. And right from that second, she didn't like that voice. And right from that second, she knew something was wrong. She later said to you, I didn't like the voice. And she knew right at that moment. But here comes this friendly-looking guy up the stairs, and he says, hey, come on, we've got a hungry cat up there. Let me give you a hand with that. And he goes to take her bag to help her, and she doesn't let go of it. And she says, no, I don't need any help. And they're both holding onto the bag for a moment. Uh-huh. And then she does let go. And in that moment, she tells him, I will trust you. That little exchange between the two of them is the decisive moment. But she's getting this intuitive signal. And ultimately, he gets to the door, and she says, hey, uh, you know, I'll take it from here. And he says, no, I promise. I'll just put the stuff down and go. But of course, he doesn't keep his promise. She lets him in, and he holds her at gunpoint. The rape had happened. He got up. He got dressed. He closed the window, which was open, and he said, I'll be right back. I'm going to get something to drink from the kitchen. I promise. I promise. And she knew that he intended to come back and kill her. And we now know he did kill another of his victims. And as he turned and walked out of the room, he said, you stay right there. Don't you move. And she said, you know I won't move. And after the rape. She's come to me to talk about what did I do that saved my life? Because she did an extraordinary thing listening to her intuition. And the moment he turned to walk out, she got up off the bed, pulled the sheet with her, and walked right down the hall, right behind him. He could have felt her breath if she'd been breathing. He continues on to the kitchen, and as she goes out her front door, she hears him going through drawers in the kitchen, and she walks right across the hall. Mm -hmm. Right. And she, she said to me, I knew the door of my neighbors would be unlocked intuitively. And she was right. She turned it. It was unlocked. She went in, locked it behind them, and 
told them to be quiet. And that listening to fear saved her life because that was fear that she felt. We were all spellbound by this story because it is the horror that every woman fears having to experience. But it was life-changing and eye-opening for me, and I know so many millions of other women, not just because of the story and the terrifying experience that Kelly had to go through, but the lesson is that when she told him no the first time, when she said, no, it's okay, I can handle it myself, and he persisted in trying to help her, the lesson is when you say no and you mean no, and the other person, regardless of whether it's in a situation where somebody wants to attack you or a situation where somebody wants you just to change your opinion, what I learned is that when you say no and the other person continues to say, no, 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 let me do it, or no, 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 it'll be okay, you should think immediately, not how do I make it nice, how do I make it better, but immediately think, why is this person trying to control me? Because no is a complete sentence. The year was 1997 when protection expert Gavin DeBecker appeared on The Oprah Show for the first time to talk about using intuition to save your life. Like every creature on Earth, we can predict violent behavior. And we always think, you know, if you can imagine two animals meeting in the forest and one of them attacks the other, the first one doesn't say, wow, I had no idea that was coming. But people do that all the time. They get a signal and ignore it when there's intuition inside that can really make the difference. Okay. It doesn't even matter how smart you are, because I'm assuming we're all very intelligent people. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with not listening to your brain self, but listening to your gut self that says something's not right. That is your intuition. It's the voice of your inner self, your inner being saying something's off here. And one of the things that I learned from Gavin DeBecker is that we're the only animals, we're the only creatures that will sense that thing, "Mm, something's off here, and walk into it. Every other animal, every creature that senses fear, it runs in the opposite direction. We're the only ones that sense it and walk right into it. Very true, and so much attention is given to what are the warning signs of this or that. We're trying to analyze the warning signs, and what I really want to teach today and forever is the feeling is the warning sign. All the other stuff is our explanation for the feeling, why it was this, why it was that. The feeling itself is the warning sign. The feeling itself is enough to say, all right, now why? What would that be? How easy would it be to go another way right now? Wow. I hope we all get that. The feeling itself is the warning sign, and the feeling is enough. I think so many times, women especially, we do not trust our own feelings. We think other people's feelings are more important than our own, and therefore do not honor the feeling that says, hmm, something's wrong here. I need to go another way, or I need not to open that door, or I need to stop. And that shows up in every area of your life, not just when you're threatened, but in every area of your life. Listen to your gut. This is uh, Betty Krieger, who is a mother of four and a well-known professional golfer in Kentucky. And she was brutally attacked in her own front yard. 
As Betty tells her story, you will see how she ignored her uneasy feelings about her attacker until her maternal instincts kicked in to protect her children. Simpsonville is one of the uh, most wonderful towns that you could ever find to live in. It's a very friendly community. Everybody knows everybody else. Nice and safe. What golf pro Betty Kreger didn't know was that a stranger in a red pickup truck had been watching her, checking out her every move. A few times a week living in the country, you'll have people drive up the driveway, and there's no reason to be afraid. This time was different. So I said, Hello, can I help you? Do you need help? He did not uh, respond to me at all. My heart was racing, my palms were sweaty, and yet I felt like I needed to be nice and say hello. He sensed my fear and said, oh, oh, I didn't mean to scare you. And he smiled and I felt relief again at that point. And he actually ended with saying, Sorry to bother you. Sorry if I scared you. And he turned around at that point and walked to his truck. I remember waving, and I made the girls wave to him. And then we turned around away from him to walk towards the house. I heard big, loud, thunderous running from behind me. And we were tackled. The baby started a horrible wailing type animal-like scream that no mother would want to hear. I bit and scratched, and I growled. I did everything that I could do. He got in the truck laughing, and I ran after him with the baby still on my hip, and the dogs had been chewing on a branch. I flung it like it was a toothpick and broke out a lot of the glass in the front of his truck. I felt uh, weeks later, looking back over that, that there was an angel over, at, over me at that point. Betty, thank you for being here, because you're going to help a lot of mothers, a lot of uh, women and uh, men out there. You had 23 warning signs, you say, but you basically ignored them all. You denied your intuition. I ignored every one of them. First of all, let's talk about the first one, Gavin. Her fear, the sweaty palms, the sweaty hands, the heart racing, mm. were signs that something is up, something's off. When you get that signal, which is nature's way, true fear is nature's way of saying you are in the presence of danger. When you get that signal, all the logical work has been done. Basically, you've won the race and you haven't even heard the starting pistol. It's that fear has figured out what his car's like, what the kids are reacting like, what, you're, what you know he doesn't have equipment in the back of the car, and yet he claims to be a lawn service. All that's been done autopilot when you get fear. And our challenge then is to, uh, is to listen to it, and, but we, we tend to say, I don't want this to be true, so I'm going to deny it. I'm going to push it down, and, and that's what Betty did. Okay, I think, I, I think you're such a wonderful example. Wonderful example because you do what so many women do, and what Gavin talks about in The Gift of Fear and also Protecting the Gift, is that you want to be nice, you know? You want the guy, in, in spite you, you're sensing all of this, but then you think it's not polite. It's hard to explain all these warning signals were going off like sirens in my brain. And I remember my, my hands being so sweaty and uh, dealing with that on the inside and going, watch out, watch out the sky. But on, like you said, my intellect took over and I'm like, who would, a, who would hurt two children? Who would hurt a mother? 
who would uh, do something like this in this neighborhood. And I, I remember talking to my fear. And what I'm here today to do is to tell mothers and tell people to listen to their insides. It's more than a decade later, but Betty, that information is still pertinent to our lives right now. How many times have we been in a situation where something or someone showed up and it felt really odd, it felt like not the right space, but you thought, but that wouldn't happen here, or that couldn't happen to me, or I certainly don't want to make him think that I'm not being a nice person. Thank you again, Betty. Over the years, we've heard invaluable information that in a moment of danger could be life-saving. Nothing I heard made a greater impression on me than back in 1991, I think we were beginning our fifth season, and a man named Sanford Strong came on and, and shared this. Never forgot it. Rule number one, and frankly, it's probably, in my opinion, the most important. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. Never. If everyone in this room and everyone watching this program has never drawn the line and made a decision on crime protection, you better make it when they decide to move you from crime scene number one to crime scene number two. Because the crime scene number two is going to be isolated. You won't choose it. You'll be the focus of the crime. I think what was so interesting about that piece of advice is at the time that we all heard that, we had been trained, as women people especially, to believe that you just do whatever they say. Whatever they say, go along with it. And what's important to know is that it's all about using your gut in the moment. And people who've survived horrific circumstances talk about listening to that intuition and every move being made, calculated, on listening to what your gut says. What the experts now say is do not allow yourself to be taken to the second location because anybody who is trying to harm you wants to get you to an isolated place where they can do that without other people seeing or knowing it. So in that moment of making the decision, oh, you're going to shoot me? If you're going to shoot me, you have to shoot me now rather than shoot me in isolation where nobody can see you. Whenever somebody has said something that made the little hairs on my arms or neck stand up, I know that if that's happening to me, that's also happening to somebody else too. After he attacked me and got the money, he grabbed me and asked where the bathroom was. And that's when the red flag went up and I remembered from watching Oprah a long time ago, um, don't ever let your attacker take you to that second location. I knew that Sanford Strong words would connect with our Oprah Show viewers in a way that would be life-saving. I thought, if he takes me to this bathroom, I'm not coming out of that cold, dark bathroom. I'm not coming out. Time and time again, we heard from women who said that small piece of advice kept them alive. I knew right then, don't go to a second location. He will rape me. So I just kept trying to flail and... Oh, I went nuts, though, when he was trying to get me down the side street. Did you see that show? Yeah, we I did. saw that But one. it helped save her life in yeah. this instance. And for Denise, that message of survival came flooding back to her in one terrifying moment. It was just like any other day. I finished work and planned to go for a run. I got dressed and headed out the door and began running down a major street. I turned right and saw a man walking towards me. He didn't look unusual, and in fact, I even said hi to him when I got close enough to him. 
It's in a very affluent neighborhood, and I guess I had developed a false sense of security. One minute I was jogging, and the next minute, I, this man has completely overpowered me. It happened so fast. I was in shock. I screamed and yelled. I yelled rape. I fought him to the ground, but unfortunately he was so big that he was easily able to overpower me. Even though I screamed, no one uh, stopped their cars, no one came out of their homes. He forced me to walk onto this lot and um, forced me inside this Porta John. On the way to the Porta John, he told me he was going to strangle me if I wasn't quiet. I remembered two key self-defense tips that I got off of one of your shows. The first one is that if you have to choose between being submissive or fighting, you should always fight. And secondly, never allow them to take you somewhere else. Never. Then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm in the second location. If I don't do something right now, I am probably not going to live to see tomorrow. So I used my legs to push off the back wall of the Porta John, using him as my leverage. And sure enough, he started to stumble. I then walked my legs up to the ceiling of the Porta John, and he began to stumble some more. And he fell against the door, and the door creaked open. I actually ended up doing a backflip over his head, which caused him to lose his grip on me. And miraculously, I landed on my feet and was able to run three blocks and get to safety. Wow. Welcome, Denise. Thank Welcome. You. you know, that is, of all the years of safety tips I've done, that is the one thing that stands in my mind, too. Never allow yourself to be taken to the second location. Right. Well, you were taken before you even realized this is the second location. Right. Right. He already had me in the Porta John before the light bulb went off, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm in the second location. And now I've got to do something. Now. Exactly. Wow. And the attacker has not been found. No, he has not. No. Did you feel like you were, you were in control, though? Did you feel like you had some control? I, I think I was in such shock for the first portion of it that, no, I did not. I felt like he had complete control. But once he had me inside the Porta John and that survival instinct kicked in, I also have to say that I, I prayed as well. I just asked God to help me. And it was at that moment that all the information from your show came back to me. It's like this light bulb went on. And then time stood still. And it was as if I processed an hour's worth of thoughts in 90 seconds. Really? I was thinking clear as a bell. And I developed a plan. And I knew exactly what I was doing and when I was going to do it. And fortunately for me, it worked. Well, it's a horrible circumstance to happen to anybody when your life is in danger. But I'm hoping that the information of using your gut first and foremost, and particularly if you're jogging at night, I see this all the time, and it just makes me want to pull my hair out one strand at a time. When I see women jogging early in the morning, pre-dawn hours, or in the evening, with their headphones on. When you're jogging and your headphones are on, your sensibilities and your ability to adapt to whatever is going to happen in the moment is completely thrown off. It's just, it is just a hazard. So listening to the music cuts down your ability to react instinctively or to even feel what your gut is because you're already in the moment before you can de determine what it is you're feeling. And as we've heard today and have heard over the years, the feeling is the first warning sign. You know, over the years, I've had children. We've had stay-at-home moms. We've had caretakers. We've had people from all walks of life, actresses, 
who experience the same thing, not listening to their gut and learning how to do that. Actress Gabrielle Union has shared the screen with some of Hollywood's biggest names, Kirsten Dunst, Will Smith, George Clooney, and most recently, Annette Bening. But until recently, no one knew that Gabrielle had fought for her life during a brutal rape. Gabrielle Union is here. I was 19 years old, I was working. One day I was covering for one of my girls and uh, this man walked into the store uh, right around closing time. And the second he walked in, I just knew something knew. was wrong. Yeah. yeah. But you know, as women were raised to be polite and mm -hmm. you don't want anybody to feel bad. And, but my, my body, my instinct, everything in my being was saying, run, just run out of the store. So I just continued you know, about my closing you know, jobs. And uh, she yelled, my name to come to the front of the store. And I knew, I was like, I should have ran. Because mm -hmm. now they're between me and the door. So who yelled yeah. your name? The other girl I was working with. Okay. And I came around front and he had the gun on her. And immediately I thought to the show. Mm. And um, I, I just did everything the man, the, the uh, detective said, you know, be calm, follow their directions, do everything that you, you know, that you're being told to do until you see an opening. So I just, did what the man said. You know, we were trying to give him all the money, but we had just done the drop, so there really wasn't any money. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was angry, and the girl that I was working with was very angry. And I'm like, she didn't watch the show. She didn't watch the show, she's very angry. And so he starts asking us to walk to the back, and immediately I'm thinking... Don't let yourself be taken to the second this location. This is the second location, but he's, he's got the gun on me, and I'm, I'm just trying to do what he's saying to do, just trying to figure out how do I get out of this. So by the time we got to the second location, to the back area of the store, um, you know, he said, no, you come here. And it just kind of dawned on me what was going to happen. Either he's going to murder me um, or he's going to rape me. And I hate to say luckily, but luckily I was just... You weren't killed. I wasn't killed. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he did rape you? Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, during the course of, of him raping me, you just sort of, it's like you kind of hover over yourself. Mm -hmm. Like you're watching a movie, like this is happening to someone else. It's like your body kind of, and your brain just kind of can't take mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was just sort of hovering over myself like, how is this happening to me? I follow the rules. I'm a good girl. I'm a mm -hmm. good student. I'm a good athlete. This isn't supposed to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And um, then he calmly said, can you hand me the gun? And it was like at that moment, it was what he was saying, you know, when you're in this second location, if there's an opportunity to get out, take it. And so. I've never handled a gun before in my life, but I guess from watching movies, I knew instinctively how to handle the gun. I, the clip had sort of popped out. I fell on my back, popped the clip in, and I tried to take him out. Really? Yeah. You tried to take him out? I tried to take him out. Yeah. I don't, I don't advocate gun violence, and I've never been violent with anybody. Did you shoot? Did you shoot? Oh, yeah, I, yeah. But it's, it's a lot harder to shoot somebody, certainly when you're rolling on your back. You know, the uh -huh. movie stars make it seem really easy, but yeah. it's not. So I'm trying to click it, and he's punching me in the face and kneeing me and kicking me, trying to get the gun away, and he finally rips it out of my hands, and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to die now because I've made him angry. And uh, he just calmly asked, how do I get out of here? And he left. The hairs rose on your arm. You knew it. You felt whatever that energy is when evil has its presence, you know, in your space. You and felt I, it. I felt it, and I second-guessed it because I didn't want to be mean. Yeah. I didn't want to be impolite. 
but everything in my body said, run out of the store. When he, the second he walked in, I, I just, something about that man just, you know, yeah. sent chills up my yeah. spine. Yeah. After Gabrielle shared the details of her horrific rape, I asked protection expert Gavin DeBecker what we could learn from it. What do you want to say to women who, all of us, myself included, who are conditioned to be nice? We, we just mm. want to be nice. <laughs> it is, there's no question, this is what the culture teaches, which mm -hmm. is that uh, women have to be nice all the time. You have to engage. If I say something to you in public, you have to respond. You can't be a bitch. You can't be mean. Yeah. And the fact is that men at core are afraid that women will laugh at them. And women at core are afraid that men will kill them. And often believe that if you're not nice, you increase the likelihood of danger and risk, when in fact the exact opposite is true. It's when you're nice that you open up and give information, that you engage with someone you don't want to talk to. He or she doesn't want to let someone into the store. And for fear of being perceived as not nice, she un opens the, the door and lets him in. And it ultimately leads to a rape. I have not heard of one case in my entire career where someone was raped or murdered because they weren't nice. In other words, that's not the thing that motivates rape and murder. But I've heard of many, many cases where someone was victimized because they were open to the continued conversation with someone they didn't feel good about talking to. And didn't listen to the first, hmm. Didn't listen to the first feeling. You, yeah. Even she said, I second-guessed it. I second-guessed second it. There's a great thing that Gavin Becker says in his book, Gift Appear. He says, we must learn and then teach our children that niceness does not equal goodness. Niceness is a decision, a strategy of social interaction. It is not a character trait. People seeking to control others almost always present the image of a nice person in the beginning. How many times have you been in a position as a woman in particular, I'm speaking to the women now, because it's so interesting that men don't carry this with them. Men don't have to worry if the doors are locked at night. Men don't have to worry if they're walking to a parking lot. They don't have to worry in the same way that, that women do about protecting themselves, protecting um, their bodies. So how many times have you been in a situation where you did walk to the parking lot late at night? You did get on an elevator in a building and another strange man or men got on the same elevator and you felt that this is not good, but allowed yourself to stay there, to stay in that moment because you wanted to be nice. Over the years, I did hundreds of shows trying to get people to think differently about child sexual abuse, child abuse, molestation. And this was one of those shows that I think shifted the way we, as a culture, looked at the boogeyman. Because everybody, up until this show, I can tell you, a lot of people thought of people who um, snatch children or approach children as the sleazy guys in the raincoats or somebody that would be identifiable. You'd look at that guy and say, oh, God, something's wrong with that guy. You'd get that, mm, something's off feeling. But this show in particular, I think, opened the door for us to see that molesters are the people next door. Child molesters often go after groups of children at the same time. They call that the playmate lure. These little girls are approached by our volunteer stranger, who's really a child safety expert. 
Hey, guys, have you seen a little puppy around here? His name is Truman. I had him on this leash, and he got off. He likes children. He loves children. Would you help me look for him? Would you just just walk around here and, and yell Truman, OK? One, two, three. Truman. All right, come on, right around here. Look over. Over, yeah, right out here. As the five-year-old girls were being led away, we told Kim about our experiment. Her daughter was one of the three being lured by our stranger. I'm shocked. This time, it took 36 seconds for three little girls to follow a stranger out of the park. Yeah, were you surprised? 36 seconds? Yeah, I was. I was. I have uh, taught all three of my children since they were old enough to speak on what to do in a situation if it occurs. But what did you taught them? What did you taught them? You know, I guess I always made the stranger out to be a boogeyman. Mm -hmm. Or what to do if somebody approaches you. And unfortunately, this was not a boogeyman. Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing she remarked about was how nice he was. Mm -hmm. He was friendly. It was OK, Mom. You know, we are a part of the creatures of the planet. And just like every animal living in the wild doesn't walk around in fear every day. They feed, they go to the watering hole, they do the things that animals do, but they are cautious and listen to their instincts. You see their ears perk up. You can see that they notice, they stop, they get still, they turn around to see when they sense danger. And when they sense danger, they move out of the way of the danger. They don't run into the danger. This is about getting you to be more in tune with what you're feeling in every area of your life, but particularly when you get one of those moments where you sense, hmm, something's off here. Something's off. Listen to your gut. Your gut is the voice of your higher self. It's your personal GPS system to guide you and to try to keep you out of danger's way, out of harm's way. That is the gift of fear. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>